Hey, clones, let me talk to you for a minute about brand and not just brand. How about the number one brand in performance workwear? Dickies. That's what it is. Dickies knows that work is more than just what you do. Dickies is also who you are. Just like the professional athletes that we talk about all day, every day, your work is going to be judged by how you perform on the job. That's why Dickies Flex work pants and Dickies shirts are engineered to give you superior mobility, advanced protection, and enhanced durability. And Dickies Flex is backed with Dickies Unconditional Satisfaction Guarantee, so you know that the Flex Series is made to work as hard as you do. Dickies Flex. Engineer to move, engineer to last. You can learn more at dickies.com. That's dickies.com. This is RPO, Rome Price Opinion. Ross Tucker, NFL. Ross, this is unbelievable. I mean, I've seen you man up in the past, but this is a macho, macho effort. Really quickly, I've got to start by asking, how has your weekend gone thus far? It is the rare Ross Tucker triple header. How you living? Oh, my gosh, man. I'm living the dream. I, you know, somehow they got direct flights from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to Atlanta. So that was easy Friday. And I got to tell you, Tim, and, and all your listeners, the SEC championship game between Georgia and Alabama was the most electric football atmosphere I think I've ever been at. I've been to several Super Bowls, and it blows them away. Half the stands Georgia, half the stands Alabama, everybody standing, all of the band and the cheerleaders and the dancing girls. I mean, that place was bananas all day long. Just an incredible experience. That That is a legit bucket list item for anybody. And obviously, we all saw what happened. Tremendous game. Jalen Hurts, what an incredible story. Then they have a late flight from Atlanta to Pittsburgh. I take that Saturday night. Last night, I'm, I'm up in the booth for Westwood One for the Chargers and the Steelers. And I'm thinking there's no way at halftime that the Chargers are coming back from 23-7 in Pittsburgh in the Steel City, yet they do it, they get it done. So I'm two for two in terms of incredible games, incredible comebacks. I hop in the rental car, drive to central Pennsylvania, sleep for a few hours, and now I'm on my way to to be in Philadelphia on the sideline tonight for the Eagles and the Redskins. So I guess the moral of the story, Jim, is for the Eagles and Redskins tonight, you don't want to get a two-touchdown lead. Because this weekend, for me, a two-touchdown lead is not safe. Ross, that is unbelievable. I mean, I could not be more impressed with what you're doing. And in and above all that, and you're on the way to going to work for the Monday Night Matchup, you're jamming our podcast in here as well. So that's how you do it. I mean, I don't even know where to follow you after what you just said. But let me ask you about last night's game. How much did the Chargers show you in coming back on the road without Melvin Gordon to shock the Steelers the way they did? More than you can imagine. I mean, I was sitting there, and I don't, you know, I'm not a Chargers fan, Jim, but... That's got to be their biggest regular season win in years. I mean years. You're down 16 points. Nothing is going right. Jim, they had two yards rushing in the first half. Two. Two yards rushing. And the way they did it. I mean, they ran the ball well in the second half. They started to get some stops of the Steelers. They had, obviously, there was some good fortune with Sean Davis taking Joe Hayden's head off as he was about to intercept Rivers in the end zone. That was lucky as heck. But, hey, it happens, and even the punt return for a touchdown, it was all three phases, and 
absolutely punched their playoff ticket last night. And now they're going after the Chiefs, man. I mean, they, they are going after that division. And at, at worst-case scenario, they're going to be the five seed in the playoffs. And it might even be – they might even run it back. It might even be a rematch in Pittsburgh against the Steelers again. So, Ross, if, as you say, and I agree with you, if that's one of the Chargers' best regular season wins ever, is that also then one of the Steelers' worst regular season losses ever? Without question. Uh, You know, it's funny. I hopped in the car to drive back to where I live in central PA and was flipping through the different radio stations, and all they were saying, they kept commenting on, it was the first time the Steelers had lost a 14-plus point lead at halftime in like 40 years or something, and just the way it went down. And obviously there are a lot of fans that were upset about some of the officiating. I really don't blame them on the first touchdown pass to Travis Benjamin. That was totally unacceptable that they didn't see the false start by the right tackle, Sam Tebby. But even so, Jim, it's still 23-7 to at halftime. And I look at it like this, right? There's two ways you can go in life. You can focus after that game on the officiating and say, we got a raw deal here, or this was bad there, or whatever. Or you can go ahead and say, you know what? Maybe Ben Roethlisberger shouldn't have thrown that horrendous interception to Derwin James in the red zone. Or, or maybe Ben shouldn't have missed Justin Hunter for a wide-open touchdown that forced him to settle for a field goal when there wasn't anybody within 15 yards of him. You know, maybe Sean Davis should open his eyes and not annihilate to the head and neck area of a defenseless teammate who's about to intercept the pass. You know, it's all about, Jim, if you're the type of person in life that wants to blame others or wants to take personal responsibility and accountability. Most players I know, thankfully, do the latter. They take the personal responsibility and accountability say, hey, if we did what we were supposed to do, the officiating still wouldn't have mattered. Ross Tucker on his way to the Monday night matchup. It is a triple header for him, and he's jamming in this RPO podcast as well. Ross, I'm going to run through this because I know your time is tight. What about the Packers firing Mike McCarthy? I mean, maybe that's not a surprise in and of itself, but maybe the timing is. It's really out of character for them to make a coaching change midseason. Do you think they got it right? I think they did, and I'll tell you why, Jim. And I wrote about this in my column at The Athletic a couple weeks ago. And I was really writing about guys like Dirk Cutter and Todd Bowles, to be honest with you. But in my experience, now, my first three years of the NFL, the head coach got fired at the end of the year. I was like the original coach killer, okay? <laughs> and it's kind of funny. I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen with Marty Schottenheimer my rookie year. But my second year with Dave Campo in Dallas, third year with Greg Williams in Buffalo, we knew. I mean, we knew for a couple of weeks that Campo – after the report came out that Jerry Jones had met with Bill Parcells, you know, we knew uh, as well in in Buffalo, it is awful. It is a miserable, miserable work environment when everyone knows they're getting – I mean, the assistant coaches, Jim, walk around like freaking zombies, man. They don't even look at you. They don't even say hi to you. Everybody's miserable. And I think, if anything – and this is just an expression, but I think firing Mike McCarthy was essentially a mercy killing, if you will. Because as soon as you lose at home to the Arizona Cardinals, it's over. It's over. You, you are not keeping that job, and everybody knows it. 
So why send him to the firing line each and every week the rest of the season for four weeks to answer those inevitable questions over and over and over again? I think that solid because everybody knew what the end result was going to be. And this way he can take a month off, still get paid, start to figure out what he's going to do next. The organization can figure out what they're going to do next. And I think everybody's better off for it. I think you're right. They put him out of his misery. They put him out of his misery. All right. Now, Ross, I yesterday was on the NFL and CBS, and I hyped Baker Mayfield only to have the Texans come out and punch him and the Browns in the face. Credit to the Texans. They started the year 0-3. Bill O'Brien looked like he might be on the hot seat. Since then, they've ripped off nine in a row. If I can, I'll double back and ask you how they did that. However, you tweeted that you felt that the Browns were not focused on the Texans. What do you mean by that? What do you think they were focused on? Well, I mean, you know, and I wrote about this last week too, Jim. Uh, I know everybody loves Baker Mayfield, and he's highly entertaining. And I kind of like that he's not a cookie-cutter quarterback, and he said he's never going to be, and I get that. I initially did not appreciate the way he handled the Hugh Jackson situation because I thought it was solely because Jackson left Cleveland and went to Cincinnati. It now seems pretty clear that there's a lot more to it than that, and this is a personality conflict, and he really just doesn't like the guy. And so that, that changes my viewpoint on it. A little bit, because my point was like, hey, Baker, you know, the guy kind of got fired. I I mean, he'd rather be your head coach. He'd rather still be in Cleveland. And by the way, I don't even think Baker Mayfield would have been picked number one overall in Cleveland if it wasn't for Hugh Jackson. Yeah, it was John Dorsey's pick. But if Todd Haley and, and, and Hugh Jackson said to Dorsey, this guy's not our guy. He can't play. We don't want him. They would not have taken him number one overall. So, yeah, he was really a part of Baker Mayfield being the number one pick. But all that stuff aside, it just felt like ever since that game was over, all the conversation and focus was on Hugh Jackson. You know, and, and Baker's talking about it Sunday after the game. Monday, and this is probably the worst part of the whole thing, he goes on Instagram and he's calling out Damian Woody, who played like 15 years, okay, won multiple Super Bowls. The dude's got a lot of pelts on the wall, and Baker Mayfield saying, good try, though, buddy. And so my question would be, Jim, how much time did he spend on social media figuring out what people were saying about him? I mean, to me, I would say, rise above it, man. You know, it's like you don't go out and respond to everybody, Jim, that, you know, is hitting you up on social media. I don't. You know, rise above the fray. And Baker didn't do that. And then he came out and got punched in the mouth. The NFL has a strange way of humbling you and humbling you really quickly. And there's a reason. Like people say, oh, Ross, it's just a chip on Baker's shoulder. You don't think Brady has a chip on his shoulder? And that's what fires him up all week. That's what fires him up for the game. But then after the game, he doesn't tell you about it. He doesn't go on. He doesn't go the next day on social media. He just uses it to fuel the next game. He realizes there's no value in kind of getting into that 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 he said stuff after the game. You know, it's really interesting because I'm going to defend Mayfield, but you're right. As a young guy, maybe the NFL has kind of got this 
a way of humbling a guy. I mean, I would argue for Baker Ross in the sense that this is a guy who walked on, then went on to become a Heisman Trophy winner, then went on to become a first pick overall, that this guy runs on a different sort of fuel. Maybe he'll have to change up, maybe not. But it's hard to argue with the results. See, my thing is he backs it up, he backs it up, he backs it up. But this time, you're right, he did not back it up. Ross, let me ask you about Kareem Hunt. And, you know, we can do an entire podcast on that in and of itself. But do you think the Chiefs got it right in cutting him as swiftly as they did? Yeah, I think they did. But I'm surprised they did it, Jim. I I really am. You know, as soon as the NFL put him on the commissioner's exempt list, it kind of took the onus off of the Chiefs to immediately take action. I mean, he wasn't going to be allowed back on the field again this year anyway. So maybe their thought process was, look, this guy, you know, first of all, he lied to us. Second of all, he's not going back on the field this year anyway, so we don't need to try to keep him on the roster to try to win a Super Bowl this year. But I I was not expecting it. I I thought, you know, just like when when Adrian Peterson and Greg Hardy went on the commissioner's exemplist, I thought the Chiefs, because he's a young player, he's a really good player, he's a really inexpensive player, I thought that they would kind of say, yeah, you know, our hands are tied. It's in the NFL's purview now. He's on the commissioner's exemplist. We'll see what they find in the investigation. I thought they made a pretty loud statement. I know everybody says, oh, Ross, if they, a loud statement would have been cutting him in February when the news came out. Or a loud statement would have been, you know, why, why do they have Tyreek Hill on their team? And I, I get all that, right? I think, though, their statement was you can't lie to us and you can't tell us you did one thing and do the other we can't have that on the team especially when it's something this serious because there are other police reports filed and domestic abuse incidents where you know charges end up getting dropped and it's found that there was no wrongdoing they found right away obviously that he was not honest with them and they cut him and i think they did the right move and they made a strong decision and frankly It's just unbelievable contrast with the team I'm going to see tonight in the Redskins that claimed the guy off waivers who, now there's no video, but he's been arrested three times in 2018, and we still get a month left, by the way, and twice for domestic abuse in Reuben Foster. They claimed him, Jim, for the right to pay him $33,000 a week to maybe play for them next year. Think about how much they must want him or how much they must not really care that much about what he did to pay him 33 grand a week to do nothing. I don't even know if he's at the facility, but he's getting 33 grand a week just so maybe they can have his rights for next year. It's a stark contrast between the Chiefs and the Redskins. They're paying a quarter of a mil on the off chance that they do have this guy. And I think you're right. I think it speaks to Ross how badly they want him and how little they care about what he may have done, how little they care about what anybody thinks about what he may have done, and the fact that nobody else even really wanted him. They're laying out a quarter of the mill, quarter of a mill on the off chance that they might get him. All right, Ross, before you go, a couple of quick things. I really appreciate your time so much. I know you're on the way to the Monday night matchup, which you're going to cover for Westwood One. What a wild thing that was. Buffalo Bill Jerry Hughes getting after an official after yesterday's game. He said that the ref called him a bitch. Now, it's hard to imagine any ref calling any player a bitch, but I was not there. Ross, what is the craziest thing you've ever heard a ref say to a player? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, 
I'm trying to think that I, they usually don't say much. Now, I, I've heard the opposite of it. Usually, they just kind of take it. I mean, I, I've heard players say real, real bad things to refs, and refs usually just take it, right? They usually just, you know, act like they didn't hear you, and they move on. But I don't know that I've ever heard a ref. I mean, you know, there have been reports over the years, but I don't know that I've ever personally heard a ref say anything that egregious or that noteworthy in my mind. I mean, it's, it's stunning. Um, you know, on the one hand, it's hard for me to believe. On the other hand, it's kind of a weird thing for Jerry Hughes to make up, and I can't imagine what else would set him off to the point where he would go after the guy in, you know, in the tunnel going into the locker room because, you know, he knows if it was just a bad call, he wouldn't have done that. And, you know, he knows he's probably going to get fined and they're going to investigate the incident. It'll be really interesting to see what ends up coming out of that because I haven't heard it, Jim. And I played a bunch of I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard a ref say anything really derogatory to a player. Ross, I wasn't there. I don't want to say. I have no way of knowing. It seems very peculiar that a ref would call a player a bitch. Now, I wasn't there, and I don't know if it set him off. That seems very strange, doesn't it? It does. My only thought is maybe that's what Jerry thought he said, and it's not what the official said. I mean, you know, I would also just say, like, if you look at the the profile of most of the officials, I don't picture many of those guys saying the word bitch that often. You know what I mean? Like, right. They're just, they're just, they're like lawyers. You know what I mean? Like, I just, they're like accountants and lawyers. I, I mean, I don't know if he did say it. I wish that we had a mic because I'd be surprised the dude had it in him. No, exactly. Like insurance executives, attorneys. <laughs> I just have a hard time thinking that a ref would go up to a guy who's 6'2", 250, alpha, heat of the moment, and say, hey, Jerry, you bitch, just keep moving. Yeah, that's what I thought, Jerry. That's what I thought. <laughs> but, I, but I'm not there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, man. Uh, you know what? In today's day and age where they got cameras and everything, I, I hope somebody had some kind of microphone there because that would be incredible it would be all right ross before you go i keep saying that because i don't want to let you go but you actually had some really interesting thoughts i think on lamar jackson so lamar jackson leaves yesterday's game after one series he comes back in he leads the ravens to a win over the falcons all of a sudden now he's three and oh or they're three and oh with him starting but you're not necessarily sold on him why is that well, I've watched a lot of him now, and first of all, he's ran the he's run the ball for at least eleven times in each game, and he's not a really big dude. So, number one, I'm just not convinced that that is sustainable. If you're talking about a, a week in week out franchise quarterback in the NFL, I just I mean, we already saw him. Now it was a kind of a fluke thing with his teammate, but he already got knocked out of a game now, and he had to come back in. But it's only not even three games. It's three games now. So that's the first thing. And it's been highly successful so far. They're playing complementary football. It works real well with what they're doing defensively, right? I mean, Lamar opens up their running game for the Gus bus, Gus Edwards. They possess the football. Their defense comes in and is lights out. they got a real good formula for success right now. I just, number one, don't think it's sustainable for him to run the football that much. And then secondly, I mean, Jim, 
So he had a couple bad fumbles. His pocket presence and security, ball security, is lacking. But some of the throws he misses are highly concerning. And, you know, I try to think about guys I can remember that missed throws by that much that ended up becoming, you know, 60% passers in the NFL or 65% or whatever. And I would also, I would put Josh Allen from the Bills in the same category. I might even put Trubisky in the same category where it's kind of this new age quarterback where they make some plays, they make a lot of plays with their legs, and they make some with their arms, and maybe one of them or maybe they can get to that point where they can complete passes more consistently. But I did, when I think of a team that is a perennial playoff contender, or you think of like the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL, they were never missing throws as badly as those three guys I just mentioned are missing throws. And look, Trubisky and the Bears are off to a good start, but I'm talking about a consistent playoff winner. You know, I, I just I have a tough time picturing those three guys doing it unless they have, you know, the best defense in the NFL, which, by the way, those guys have three of, like, the five best defense in the NFL right now. So, so Ross, quickly, like, Lamar, he won a Heisman Trophy, but he was not accurate, that accurate in college either. Can you coach accuracy, or, in your opinion, is it a matter of either you are or you aren't? You have it or you don't? I think you can improve incrementally, but nobody's ever gone. I mean, I, I can't think of a guy that's gone from, like, 52% to 62%, right? Like, a 10% increase. It just doesn't happen, right? People say, oh, he's only a rookie. Well, show me the guy. Now, I do think Stafford might have increased it by about 5%, if, you know, from his rookie year. So he might be the best example of that. Maybe maybe Rich Gannon at some point, but there just aren't, there just aren't that many examples that I can remember of a guy increasing his completion percentage by like 10%. And it's not just the inaccuracy. It's like he's way off when he's off. He's not quite Hackenberg or Tebow, but he's in that realm where it's just it, – it, it, I just can't picture you playing consistent winning football if you're doing that. That's why Tebow is out of the league. That's why Hackenberg never even got a chance because you just have to be able to complete wide open passes. It's too hard to win if you can't. You had something for the tuck heads. You went with a tuck spread, which I thought was awesome on social. Ross, you look amazing. How much weight have you lost since you played, and what's it like? So, I, I, you know, I was like 320 when I played. I'm like 265 right now. I had gotten down to 250, but I'm telling you, man, football season is rough. Yeah. All the travel, all the buffets, all the cookie tables. I mean, I try, man. I work out real hard. But the SEC championship game, I mean, they had the barbecue chicken. They had the pulled pork mac and cheese. But after the game, I'm on sideline all game. After the game, I come up, boxes upon boxes of Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I, I mean, it was just unbelievable. They had a Carvel ice cream station, and they had all the toppings you want, Oreo cookies, <laughs> Peanuts. I double dipped on the uh, Carvel ice cream station. That was a real nice treat at the SEC championship. I gave him an A plus on the Ross Tucker football podcast for that press box food. 
Hey, Ross, I give you an A-plus on the RPO podcast, man. I could not be more impressed, respect you anymore, or appreciate it, Ross. You absolutely crushed it on one of the biggest weekends of your entire life, man. Thank you so much. That was awesome. A-plus-plus. My pleasure. Anytime, Jim, you know that. And now, Price's Picks. So obviously Trevor is not here today, but I had to have Adam Hawk reach out to him to get his picks from the road. Trevor is 6-1-2 in his last nine games. So not only do I want those picks, you want them as well. This guy is red hot. So before I wrap this thing up, let me get with Hawk and see where Trevor is going with his two picks against the spread this week, starting with tonight's Monday night matchup. Washington getting six on the road in Philly. Hawk. Who does Trevor have? Trevor hit me up, texted me that he likes the home favorite Philadelphia Eagles minus six. Philadelphia Eagles minus six. All right, so birds minus six at home. What about Thursday night? Jacksonville getting four and a half on the road against the Titans. What did Trevor have to tell you about that game? First thing he told me is that this is going to be a really bad football game. And the second thing he told me is that he is taking the Jags and the points. So the underdog Jacksonville Jaguars on the road plus four. All right. So he's got Jags four and a half on Thursday. He's got Philadelphia minus six tonight, right? That's it. That's what he texted me. That's what he says. All right, Trev, keep it going. Thank you, Hawk. Extremely well done. Not really, but thanks for getting it done. I want to thank Ross Tucker now. He nailed it. Huge, huge thanks to Ross Tucker for stepping up and killing it today in the middle of an amazing broadcast triple header. He was en route to Monday night, driving down for that game, and still found a way to get this thing done. Make sure you give Ross the shine and the run that he deserves. He is a great, great analyst and a grinder. Hit Ross up on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL and give his podcast, the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, a spin. It's a great listen. Thanks, all of you, for listening. Be sure to be back next week with Trevor Price and another episode of RPO. Catch you then. I'm out.